Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. After starting mixed to higher, markets turned lower as we work through Wednesday's session. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us once again and making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here with us once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. We got a lot to discuss here today. Bit of a market reversal here, a bearish reversal in the grains at least on Wednesday. Is it a one-day thing or is this a sign of what is to come now that we have gotten a few market sessions past the USDA report aftermath? We saw grains turn their way lower on the day Wednesday. Pressure was seen as well in the stock market. Pressure ended up coming into the cattle sector, which was doing good for most of the day. We have a lot to look at. We're going to talk about it coming up here on the show. We'll be joined by Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Coming up here in segment two and three with his market analysis. Looking forward to that discussion coming up here with Mike in just a little while. Also, we'll have a look at some news headlines here on the show today as well. A few different things we are watching as we work through this week here. We'll be talking about that coming up at the end of the show today. Well, again, I mentioned as the markets, uh, we work through the day, we turned around. We had a mostly mixed market, a little bit higher to start, a little bit of buying interest coming in, and then that turned around as we worked through Wednesday's session. I talked to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday on the day on Wednesday. Got his thoughts on the market trade, starting the conversation, looking at the grain and oil seed markets, and his thoughts behind the turn lower as we work through the trading session. Here's Arlen Suderman of StoneX. Yeah, these markets are really trying to define themselves. I'm speaking specifically of the grain and oil seeds now. Uh, we had a very favorable uh, USDA report on Thursday kind of lost momentum on Friday ahead of the three-day holiday weekend, came back on Tuesday, regained a little bit of that momentum. We took out the December 30th highs on the charts for the spot contracts for both corn and soybeans yesterday and again um, early today. Just trouble sustaining that momentum, though, lacking enough really good bullish news to sustain that momentum at new highs for the move in this market. We did get support from a sharply lower dollar earlier today when we had some inflation data as well as retail sales data that told Wall Street that maybe the Fed would be ready to start pivoting away from its painful monetary tightening policy. Uh, But then industrial output data came out showing that some sectors of the industry are already in recession and that turned Wall Street sour. The dollar started rallying again and it didn't really take much for the momentum to wane in the grain and oil seeds, and they started selling off. And we have some wetter 
forecast maps for Argentina as well that are adding to the selling pressure. Arlen, I'm keeping an eye on this crude oil market. I know we're up a little bit. We're off the highs of the session, but we're still over that $80 mark. And one has to wonder, are we going to be able to continue to sustain a move above 80? I know we've been in this range for quite some time. What are your thoughts as you look at that energy market right now? Yeah, as we look at the crude oil market, it's been trending lower really since June. Um, and it's been in a channel that's been trending lower overall concerns about the world going into recession and, and uh, obviously a lot of restrictions that have been in, in place because of COVID in China that really hurt Chinese demand for crude oil as well. And that's really been the case over the last six or seven months. We've broken through the top of that channel, that downtrending channel here over the last couple of sessions. That's giving us some support. From a fundamental standpoint, it's about the reopening of China and evidence that China is bouncing back much quicker than what was previously thought from this COVID outbreak. And also we're getting some predictions now that we could see demand for crude oil rise by nearly 2 million barrels per day during this year, about 1.9 million barrels per day, with half of that coming from the rebound in China, the rest of it from the rest of the world's growth and demand, and a lot of it, a big portion of that, coming from more airline consumption of jet fuel as uh, the world opens up once again. And that's a faster pace than what we're going to be able to increase output over the coming year. So that's providing some support for the energy markets today. And in the livestock trade, it feels like we shifted roles from Tuesday's action. Cattle are now higher, hogs a little bit lower. Any thoughts in that protein sector today? Yeah, overall, this cattle market still has some good, solid fundamentals underneath of it. It's starting to feel a little bit top-heavy near-term concerns about how much the consumer will pay, whether we're getting ahead of ourselves from that standpoint. And the funds had built massive ownership of the live cattle, which made traders a little bit nervous to start taking some profits. Yet the cash market's holding up here, and that's helping up uh, provide some support underneath of this market for the time being. And again, that's comments and market analysis with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at Stonex. Talked to him around midday on Wednesday and got his thoughts on the market trade. A very interesting market trade as we saw things just uh, turn around as we went through the session. Really just kind of flipped the script, so to speak, here in grains and oil seeds. It'll be interesting to see how this market continues to react here this week. I know we're going to have more conversation coming up with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics here in just a little bit as well. Well, one news headline wanted to share the census of agriculture provides the only source of uniform, comprehensive, and impartial agriculture data for every state and county in the nation. That's according to American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President of Public Policy, Sam Kiefer. The census of agriculture is done every five years. It covers all of agriculture production, and it's the one and only complete count of farms and ranches in America and the people who operate them. And Kiefer says the data from the survey is used to shape local and federal decisions. It's used by lawmakers, not only at the federal level, but also at state and local level, to make important decisions that impact rural communities. The Census of Agriculture is also used by organizations like Farm Bureau and those who advocate on behalf of farm and ranch families. It's also used by community planners and others making decisions that impact how land is uh, used at the local level. And federal law means your data must remain confidential. 
farmers and ranchers are concerned about their farm data, and, and understandably so. But the USDA, and in this case particularly, it's the National Agriculture Statistics Service. They are bound by federal law to keep data secure, and they only publish the data in aggregated terms. So no individual names or addresses or, or identifying features are released in any of the data. Instead, it is truly just aggregated information that is put out for public use. Farmers and ranchers have until February 6th to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Any questions should be directed to your local USDA office. All right. Well, again, we saw the market trade become fairly mixed as we work through the session, turning lower here, especially in grains and oil seeds led down by the soybean complex. We're going to get back into our market conversation coming up here after the break as we talk with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We'll be back with more market talk of the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, Wednesday's trading session was a tale of how it looked at the start versus how it looked at the end, and it was totally different. We started off with a little bit more optimism than what we ended up the day with on Wednesday. A lot of things to look at, a lot of things to consider here to help us break it all down, we welcome in our good friend Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us today. Mike, good to catch up with you again, sir. Hope your week's going well. This market, I, I said it before we jumped on, I thought we were going to have a positive day to talk about, and it just kind of just went down the tubes as we worked through the session, Mike. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a big piece of the puzzle here, Jesse, I think, um, because we needed some momentum and some sentiment indicators to kind of flip on us and turn more positive, especially in the aftermath of last week's USDA report showing a tighter supply and the way we came back after the MLK holiday um, with a continuation to the upside. And, and we had those tailwinds, probably most importantly, we had those tailwinds in those outside markets. We made a new five-month low in the U.S. dollar today after the PPI and retail sales data came out and we were able to get up above $82 in the WTI crude, a new monthly high. Those are two of the big features that we had been kind of under pressure due to the exact opposite type trade. Well, let's talk a little bit about that PPI compared to last week's CPI. I think that's a good place to start as we look at this inflation data. I'll pull up a chart comparing the two on the video feed as well, but I know this was kind of the headline so to speak to start the day and, and walk us through what you saw with that producer price index data that we got out on wednesday morning yeah i think there's one of two things that turned us negative and it really did look like mid-session more of a risk-off trade and it could be one of the two could be these pr producer and consumer price indices the initial reaction by the trade with a 6.2 percent annual ppi data coming in today supporting last week's consumer price index coming in uh, underneath trade estimates. Today's numbers also came in underneath trade estimates. And it was a broad-based decline in many types of goods. And for instance, the receipts at food services and drinking places, 
the month of December. Um, those went down about nine tenths of a percentage point. So the initial reaction was, wow, this is great news because we're not going to have to worry as much about the Federal Reserve. And keep in mind, the two big things we've been talking about on the market talk discussion between you and I has been the China COVID policy and the Federal Reserve. When does China come out of its zero COVID policy, which we've seen? When does the Federal Reserve neutralize itself because it thinks it's done the job on inflation? These numbers, this chart right here, would suggest you're on your way and the Fed can take a step back when they come into the end of the month. Maybe they raise a quarter, maybe they raise a half a point, but then they come in and say, okay, we're, we're seeing some real daylight here on the inflation front. We don't want to stall out the economy too much. With the outside markets and the economy as well, just one other thought I have here that I think could tie in with this before we move to another thought here. Uh, the debt ceiling worries, issues I know are out there talking about that for the end of the week. Are you concerned about any of that? And if something doesn't get done, what effect that could have on the markets here in the short term? I did write about that in my weekly recap as we started off this week as something to keep an eye on because of the headline and whether that would cause an attraction back to a safe haven dollar buying or not. It wouldn't make fundamental sense to do that, but the trade sometimes looks at the market a lot differently than we do. I'm not nervous about it from a standpoint of the actual situation because the U.S. Treasury on Thursday will enact what they call special features, which I wish I could do this in my family budget, but they can now string out the debt <laughs> to where we don't actually, the, the U.S. doesn't actually go into debt until all the way into mid-June. So again, that'd be a wonderful tool to use in your household budget, wouldn't it? So, But you do bring up another macro feature revolving around these inflation numbers and that is maybe what happened by the middle part of the session was the trade started to realize, well, hold on, wait a minute. If the Fed still tightens and we're seeing this kind of a decline in retail sales and decline in inflation, what if we have a recession? So how do you balance that? You know, how do you get excited about commodity buying? How do you get excited about buying equities if you're going and drilling, essentially driving yourself into a recession? So I think that's one of the possibilities that uh, we need to be on the lookout for as we finish out the rest of this week. Another thing, too, Mike, you and I have been talking about the relationship between uh, SRW futures and copper and, and how this has been parlaying itself into the market. So let's take a snapshot of where things stand here as of Wednesday. Another chart pulled up on the video feed. What are you seeing with some of the latest data? And you look at the charts now as we look at the correlation between copper and the SRW futures. Yeah, this is the one of those charts where, you know, simply put, I title this chart, something's got to give, historically speaking, because if we're going to go higher in, in copper because of China, which I think that's what we've done, and look at that, a five-month high at the exact same time we're making a five-month low in the U.S. dollar. That's how integrated and closely these financial instruments chain, uh, trade with one another, Jesse. And so either the soft red wheat is due to go higher and match up with copper again, or the copper is giving a false flag and a false signal that it's a strong market and it's really probably going to be ready to be sold off uh, at some time. And this is where the second possibility for today's midday sell-off and more of a risk-off trade does, I think, go back to the Chinese issue. Um, one of the big analytical firms that the trade has really been following, I follow them too. They're from England. They took their daily possible counts of deaths up in China from 25,000 about a week or two ago per day in the month of January and early February 
up to 36,000. They jumped their daily uh, death potential by 11,000 people right as we go into that 40-day spring festival, which is centered around the Lunar New Year. And so I wonder if that's not what's going on. And, and if it is what's going on, then again, I would suspect that the copper would start to see quite a sell-off and you actually see these two assets come back together, unfortunately, with copper declining. Well, and I think it's interesting as well. You know, we think about today's sentiment versus yesterday. You brought up China. We got the GDP numbers from China yesterday right away in the morning. We, we kind of traded some of those headlines, and then we went back to the supply-demand fundamentals of uh, what we saw from Thursday's USDA reports. And then today, it just feels like as we got headlines in, we didn't go back to the fundamentals. So it, it seemed like we – I wonder if we've gotten past that – post-USDA euphoria here at this point in these markets, Mike? Yeah, that's a really good point to make. I don't think we have yet, but I would say that I think that the trade is wise in that it's rebalancing its long bean short feed grain mindset mm -hmm. because of USDA, but also because of the new fundamentals of improving South American weather and also what China's ag ministry is finally telling us about their pork production and their hog herd. Simply put, it's just too big and the ag ministry put out had a press briefing of all things and said we need to cut back on our hog uh, inventories and production and we're going to start buying uh, pork for state reserves to try and lop up and suck up some of this extra per pork production so that the prices can find some support but they've been down multi-weeks in a row ever since uh, the middle of december and i think this is where that could feed the bullish the, the bullish mindset in the feed grains but by the same token, it could feed the bearish mindset in the soybeans. And so I think that we're now for the 2023 uh, corn bean acreage base, Jesse, we're probably starting to trade now more of buying corn acres at the expense of soybeans. And what I think is going to happen is I think the soybeans could find some support from the wheat market because if the wheat and the corn don't want to go down, I think the soybeans will find support off that. But if the wheat market doesn't stand up here and say, we're picking up demand, supplies are the tightest in the United States for stocks to use since 2013, we don't need any more price erosion here um, because we're starting to see the end users really pick it up here at the first of the year, then I think the corn bean ratio would go in favor of the corn and the beans kind of stay sideways instead of the beans falling dramatically and buying corn acres that way. It's probably the most important thing on my list of things to do as we get into the end of January, 1st of February, other than getting some more corn sales made for old crop, which I did pull some triggers today for clients. Well, again, that is Mike Zuzolo, Global Commodity Analytics, our guest analyst here on Market Talk today. We're going to continue our conversation with Mike coming up here after the break. We'll uh, continue our thoughts here in this grain trade. We'll also look more at the livestock trade as we continue on with our discussion coming up here as well. I'll also have a rundown of some of the closing numbers again, mostly risk off sentiment as we work through the session on Wednesday. We'll take a look at the closes and continue with more market talk coming up on the way right after the break.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is our guest analyst today. We're going to get back to our conversation with Mike in just a minute. Few of the closing numbers from Wednesday's trade: March core down four six eighty one and a quarter. July core down four and a half at six sixty eight. We saw new crop December corn that finished the day as well down two and three quarters six oh one. March beans down fifteen and a quarter fifteen twenty four and a half. July down eighteen and a half at fifteen fifteen. New crop November beans down nineteen at thirteen seventy four and a quarter. Bean meal March down three ten a ton four seventy eight ten. March bean oil up twenty eight point sixty four twelve. March Chicago wheat that was down nine and a quarter seven forty two and a half. July down seven and a half seven fifty three and a half. March Kansas City wheat down fourteen and a quarter eight forty one and a half. July KC wheat down eleven eight thirty two. March spring wheat down fifteen at nine oh one. July down thirteen to three quarters at eight ninety three and a quarter. Over in the livestock trade, live cattle we saw. February down 20, 156.80. April live cattle 12 higher, 160.22. June live cattle up 7, 156.87. Feeder cattle January down 15, 179.50. March feeder cattle 42 higher, 181.72. February lean hogs 112 lower, 77.32. April down 192 at 86.20. May hogs down $2 at 94.45 on the day Wednesday. Also, a few other markets. Oats for March down one at 370 and a half. July oats down three at three quarters, 363 at three quarters. March canola down 520 at 836.70. And over in the cotton market as well, we saw cotton for March up 199 points, 84.81. May cotton up 210 points at 85.18. All right, let's get back to our market conversation here on the program today. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is our guest analyst here today. Mike, I should have, uh, I jumped around a little bit. My thoughts are kind of, you know, going a couple different ways here. I should have pulled this uh, chart up on the video feed as we were talking the copper and wheat chart, but this is a look at the spread between hard red soft red futures a, a weekly chart here as you look more at the relationship of these wheat markets and you mentioned wheat corn working together or not what do you see with this chart let's talk a little more about this and give us some more thoughts uh, what you're seeing in this wheat trade right now i think your placement on this chart is impeccable and perfect jesse because i think this is the <laughs> biggest issue that this is the biggest issue i have with the soft red wheat at this point, and that is if the hard red wheat weather improves and all of a sudden we lose the hard red wheat and the funds decide to buy a soft red and sell hard red, but we really don't go anywhere. We just trade the spread. And so I really don't wanna see this hard red soft red spread give up much more than 20 or 30 cents. In other words, we don't wanna go below 50 cents premium hard red against the soft red. That I think would maybe put us into kind of a tailspin in the whole wheat complex and that opens up the downside, I think, in the new crop beans and in the old crop for that matter. I, I think this is where we've talked about the July no bean spread. Now I'm introducing the hard red, soft red spread. 
I think what we're going to find in 2023, because it was this way a lot of times in 2022, was that the funds and the way they traded the spreads were a good leading and early indicator and kind of a canary in the coal mine of how the flat price was eventually going to go in terms of price trend. And so I'm trying to pick it up from there and try and learn some lessons from 2022. Well, Mike, another thought I wanted to uh, pick your brain on as well, looking at all these charts and thinking of things. I know uh, I've heard from some folks, they, they don't feel the downside risk is necessarily there in old crop with how tight the situation is after USDA's numbers. But new crop, there might be some downside risk there. I just wonder if you feel the same as you're looking at all your different charts and whatnot. What is, what is your thoughts old versus new crop right now when we look at the grains? Yeah, I mean, when I look at the corn, I'm not as nervous about that from a world perspective. And we are losing competitors. I think Brazil is getting close to being out of corn. It sounds like Ukraine is getting close to being out of corn as well after having the past few months of good overland shipments by rail and, and up the Danube River. River, I, I think the problem really is in the world soybean stocks that again, like we talked about, if you have an Argentine corn crop and bean crop of roughly 45 to 50 million metric tons, that's a lot bigger percentage of the South American crop in corn than it is soybeans. And so losing three or four or five million tons in soybeans in Argentina can easily be offset by a one or two, three million ton increase in Brazil now that Southern Brazil is getting some rains. And so that 103 plus carryover for world soybean stocks really does trouble me. And it makes me feel like that the 1095 $11 level for new crop November soybeans could very much be in play, especially if we make our crop up here come July, August. And I, that's why I'm so eager to move on the beans so much more aggressively than the corn right now. A lot of things to consider in grains. Definitely going to be keeping our eye on it as we move forward. Let's go to livestock, Mike. You mentioned hogs earlier in the show. I'm going to pull up the uh, hog chart that you sent me looking at lead month futures and the CME index. And this hog market's been volatile. I, I just, you know, love your thoughts and insight as to what you're seeing right now with how this hog market has just been acting and what charts may be indicating moving forward. Yeah, this is a very concerning chart because you see that the CME cash index in orange is leading the market lower. And that's because the CME cash index is picking up on an ever lower cutout price. And it just hasn't found support in the cutout market. And so that means the hog futures needs to go chasing down towards the index, especially as the February hogs gets ready to expire, because after all, they have to come together on expiration. This is the heart and soul of what we've been talking about probably for almost six months now, Jesse, between the pork and bean trade and being excited about China demand versus the flip side now where we've got oversupply because China's not buying and we're going to have to deal with that oversupply in the domestic pork market. And I, I just got off the phone with the French news person who specifically asked about our hog herd over here in the United States. And what I said to him was, this market is telling us now we need to cut back on our breeding inventory here in the United States because we're going to have a more pork domestically to have to consume because China's not going to take it. And, and I think this is really important for the beef trade and the cattle trade as I continue to talk about as far as how can we get higher and get up to 2014, 2015 cattle levels when we have hogs at $75 instead of $135. And it really 
does get that simple at the end of the day. Well, and yeah, that's a great point you bring up. It, it that as that spread widens out, it just feels like something's got to give here in this entire protein sector right now, Mike. Because I mean, you hit it there. That's that spread just doesn't seem like it's healthy at all for this entire sector. No, it's not. And I think this is where it goes back to that PPI data. I'm guessing the consumer data is going to show the same thing between automobile automobiles, interest rates. And if gas prices would happen to notch up, we'll, we will take a hit in the food side and consumers will go going after, get going after substitutions and that, that elasticity, that price elasticity of demand will start to kick in where you've got to go after substitutes to be able to feed your family and you'll stop going to restaurants. And that goes back to that recessionary talk. And I'm not trying to paint a really black, dark picture at all. I'm just saying in the last six months, if we were going to take out some highs in the cattle market and we've got this cattle on feed report coming up at the end of the week here unless it shows a really tight supply of on feed we really do need the poultry and the pork side to help us at these price levels well and that's a great point too with that cattle on feed report coming up on friday depending on what we get and and seeing some of these numbers for you makes me think how much is this hog market being an anchor to cattle we keep hearing about how bullish people are in this cattle market yet we just haven't seen that happen yet i wonder is this hog market just being a massive boat anchor right now yeah i think that's right and i think if you want to flip it around and look at it from a positive standpoint you could say maybe that the cattle market has support at the 153 to 155 level in the cash market especially with the return of winter i think that's a real big open mark question and probably bringing some support into this market and keeping some new shorts off the market in the cattle whereas they're going after the hogs and that's where that cattle hog spread keeps getting upwards of eighty dollars premium the fat cattle but i think then you go back to the feeder cattle market and that's really what the report's about for me jesse we took out that 180 support level that's a big deal to me on a monthly basis i want to see a good cattle on feed report so i can keep those feeder cattle together because otherwise the funds may look at it that okay we've got weak hogs we've already priced that in we're starting to see the feeders go down. Well, look how expensive these fat cattle are on the board of trade. And they kind of get away from the fundamentals and trade more of the speculative mindset. That's what I'm not wanting to get caught up in. And that's why I continue to talk about getting ready to do first quarter and second quarter fat cattle hedges because of the profitability and that fund relationship with the cash market. A lot of things to consider, Mike. I know we touched on plenty here today. Before I let you go, any final thoughts, anything else you want to reiterate for us before we run out of time? I'd be a lot more nervous about the Chinese situation than I would be the Federal Reserve at this point. If I had to pick one that I would like to see stabilize, it would be the Chinese situation because I do think the Federal Reserve situation's improving. The bond market's starting to suggest that, Jesse. So I don't want to see the market get negative on China again because we touched that right after the first of the year and it was a really hard thing to have to deal with i don't want them to have to go back to that great stuff as always and if folks want to reach out to you to get some market advice i know they could do so online phone call a lot of great ways to get in touch isn't there mike yeah go to globalcomresearch.com it's globalcom with two m's research.com take a look at the product services sign up for a free trial i'm in the middle of doing meetings webinars and seminars if you need one get it scheduled now because we're kind of running out of runway to get it scheduled especially in my part of the country with the snow coming back but uh, call me toll free 866-471-2588 if you want to talk about your specific operation or doing a meeting together
globalcomresearch.com as well. Again, that website with that, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always a pleasure, sir. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you again next week. You too, Jesse. And again, that's Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Coming up, we'll take a look at news headlines and wrap up the show. Back with more market talk of the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again for joining us here today. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. We appreciate him being our guest analyst on the show once again. Always enjoy catching up with him each and every week to talk about what's happening in the market trade. Well, something we're watching here as we take a look at news headlines in agriculture. A lot of talk being made about Brazil and their growth in ag production. Well, Reuters report out on Wednesday, the Brazilian government believes that it is possible to increase the area planted with grains by 5% each harvest for several years without deforestation. That's according to Minister of Agriculture Carlos Favaro on Tuesday. The report coming out from Reuters on Wednesday, though. In an interview with Reuters, Favaro said that this would occur within a new government plan to encourage the expansion of planted area using millions of hectares or acres of degraded pastures which can be converted into crops for this the government will offer credit with adequate interest rates now the minister said that the country currently has about 150 million hectares or 370.66 million acres of pastures with low productivity in the process of degradation or already degraded areas the plan is to use around 40 million hectares in regions suitable for agriculture to be converted into crops this would allow an important increase in the production of grains and oil seeds in Brazil, which today plants about 77 million hectares. Now, he said, quote, why isn't this converted into crops because of lack of investment? So we are going to create a credit line with compatible interest rates with a grace period with extended terms so that the producer could take this resource and make the conversion, end quote. He pointed out that the financing should be reinforced in the next harvest. Another priority will be to expand support for agricultural insurance. With this, he believes in an increase in planted area of 5% per year. And he says, quote, it is something feasible at a Chinese pace, but in a sustainable way, end quote. So Brazil definitely looking at continuing to ramp up their production agriculture. And Brazil is already close to dethroning the U.S. as the world's top corn exporter with how much they're growing currently could have could happen as early as next year, even if the U.S. crop rebounds in 2023. So a lot of things to really keep an eye on with what's going on in South America. Another story we're watching as well, of course, is what's going on in China. Mike Zuzalo alluded to this with uh, what is going on with China's hog herd. Another Reuters article looks at China's agriculture ministry urging farmers on Wednesday to take measures to reduce excess pork output and pressure on prices, which an official said have fallen below the cost of breeding due to weak consumption. China is the world's top pork producer and has struggled for years with volatile prices and cyclical hog production, especially since an outbreak of African swine fever in 2018. Average live hog prices dropped for 11 consecutive weeks to 16.31 or $2.40 per kilogram in mid-January, lower than the breeding cost of 16.71. Zhang Yandi, chief agronomist and director of the development planning department at China's agriculture ministry, said that at a press briefing. 
that we talked about with Mike Zuzalo. China's hog farmers had expected demand and prices to rise in December ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday that starts on Saturday. Many had raised heavier pigs, hoping to benefit from anticipated price rises, but that, of course, hasn't been seen. So a lot of things to watch with China's hog herd as well. What will that do for soybean imports to the country, not only from the U.S., but from South America as well? There's just a lot of things we are definitely keeping an eye on on the global front. Another one of which, uh, Russia President Vladimir Putin coming out on Wednesday and stating that they need to look at keeping their reserves, their food reserves, uh, more robust, so to speak. Does that mean that there'll be an export ban on wheat out of Russia, which currently has a very huge wheat crop? That is something else to keep an eye on in this market. Well, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says the new ag trade team of Alexis Taylor and Doug McCaleb is now in place, ready to get results for U.S. producers. Taylor and McCaleb were both confirmed to their trade post by the Senate last month. Taylor to head USDA's Foreign Ag Services Undersecretary for Trade, and McCaleb is Chief Ag Negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. Vilsack spoke recently on finally having a trade team in place halfway through the Biden administration. Having Alexis Taylor uh, now as the Undersecretary gives us the opportunity to expand significantly the reach uh, of our efforts gives us someone with experience, both in terms of having worked at USDA before in the Foreign Act Service, as well as having been the director of agriculture for the state of Oregon that was very much focused on trade. While in the meantime, Doug McCaleb has left USDA as a top advisor to Vilsack. While we're sad to, to, uh, to lose Doug McCaleb, who uh, has done an amazing job as a career person here at USDA, I think he is primed to be an extraordinary helper and assistant to Ambassador Ty at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. And I think it's going to ensure that we have a champion for U.S. agriculture. While lawmakers of both parties complain that President Biden has taken too long to get his ag trade team in place and opted against new market opening trade deals, Vilsack points to two back-to-back record years in ag trade. The secretary credits USDA trade shows and foreign market assistance and development programs as well. And one other story to share here on the show today. Over the last two decades, the strongest rural job gains were in smaller industries that tend to employ high-skill workers. Well, USDA Economic Research Service reports the highest growth was in the real estate industry. Also showing rapid growth was the administrative services industry, which includes office administration, facility support, business support services, security services, conventions and trade shows, and waste management and treatment. Now, other rural industries that grew over the past two decades were healthcare and social assistance, professional scientific and technical services, educational services, and finance and insurance. The growth of these industries represented a shift in rural production toward industries that employ higher shares of high-skill workers. Consistent with this shift, the percent of rural college-educated workers increased from 21.5% in 2012 all the way up to 23.8% in 2019. However, these rates have remained lower than the share of college-educated urban workers at 38% in 2019. So some interesting stats there as we see rural job growth shifting to high-skill workers. Well, that's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Coming up tomorrow, Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing, will join us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with more Market Talk. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. 